This report has it all. And by it all, I mean extreme beard stroking from Boganios Maximus, as corporate doublespeak, modification porn, and a technical deep dive into the operation of the modern turbocharged diesel engine. Dude, who doesn't want that? I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. Australia only website card. Now, if you know the difference between turbo lag and boost threshold, then you might as well sit this one out, dude. That is, unless you want to see me upend a classic piss creakian. This report is sponsored by NordVPN. Now, I'm not a hardcore IT guy, but I've heard enough, especially recently, about data breaches, scams and hacks to know that being online can be inherently risky and costly. You don't have to be tech savvy to use NordVPN. It's a simple one-stop cybersecurity solution. One click and you are protected from hackers, malware and pop-ups across as many as six devices. NordVPN is the world's fastest VPN. I don't even notice it running in the background, frankly, and it only costs about as much as a cup of coffee to keep your data, your identity and your devices secure every month. NordVPN can also save you money because you can assign your virtual location to another country where, for example, flights and accommodation might be cheaper than they are back at home. The same goes for streaming services and you can access live sporting events and other content that may not be available where you actually live. It's a pretty small price to pay for cyber security, not to mention the potential savings also on the table. Go to nordvpn.com AEJC to get a huge discount off your plan plus four months free. Totally risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com AEJC. Link in the description. And thanks to Nord for sponsoring this episode. Late last week, I got this impossibly sort of uplifting email from a dude with not one but two fake names boggy seven and swampy marsh his real name insofar as anyone can actually tell is andrew but who cares he's a definite piss creek in lifetime visa to the front row berth at the golden confluence who doesn't want that me sir boggy seven says I have ordered a Prado via your website in June and was very happy with the result. Well done, Bucky7. I might even get it one day. Yeah. Most people who don't own their Prados yet are very happy with them indeed, Andrew. My wife and I will be selling up and heading out to find as many dingo piss creeks as possible that we can find in our modernised 1979 aluminium composted chitois. How do you spell chitois? Well, that'll do, Andrew. I mean, it's really a French word, and you've anglicised it here, S-H-I-T-W-A-A-A-A-A-R. That's fair enough. It just means effluent box on wheels. 
The French are funny like that. I think they invented it. It's have to be their kind of thing, wouldn't it? I've been hearing a lot of things about EVC throttle controllers and that they stop the turbo lag. That friggin' turbo lag. That turbo lag that you haven't experienced yet because you don't have the car that you've read about on forums while downloading modification porn while you wait for the best vehicle on Earth, the Prado. I'd like to make four points about that, just for broader edification, if I may. Dude, you haven't even bought the fucking car yet, okay? Like, you've agreed to buy it, you haven't bought it, you haven't driven it. You've got to ease up on the modification porn because you can't know what you need to do, if anything, until you drive the friggin' car out in the field in the kinds of conditions in which you intend to use it. So come on, dude. Get with the program here. Now, turbo lag is kind of hard to understand. And when you go to the beard stroking forums where they check your beard for length and have you got sufficient striations from all the friggin' stroking of it, which you've been doing, when you go to the forums, the term turbo lag is just bandied about all the time and often completely erroneously. So here's the tech deep dive, dude. When you're driving downhill on the highway with your chitois, okay, at a moderate sort of speed, 80, 90, 100 k's an hour, whatever's conservatively safe in the circumstances, you're driving down the hill, your foot is off the gas, okay, off the accelerator, the tap is shut. Like, it's not just cracked open even a bee's dick. It's shut. And that means the engine is turning, but not burning. All right? And that's kind of important because a turbocharger is a pump. It is a pump that is driven by energetic expansion of exhaust gas, like people call it waste heat. It's energetic expansion. And that drives the inlet side and it compresses the inlet air right? And that's what boost is. So if we just do the basic tutorial on volumetric efficiency, what you get is in an Atmo engine, like a non-turbo engine, the pressure inside the cylinder with the inlet valve open has to be below atmospheric pressure because otherwise air will not flow from outside to in the cylinder. And the ratio of those pressures is a thing called volumetric efficiency. So if it's 0.9 of an atmosphere inside the cylinder and one atmosphere outside, the volumetric efficiency at that point of engine operation, whatever the conditions are, is 90%. And what a turbocharger allows you to do, obviously, is achieve volumetric efficiency is greater than 100% because it's pumping air in and therefore the pressure in the cylinder can be greater than one atmosphere. And this is why typically production turbocharged engines perform about as well in terms of their peak outputs as an engine, an Atmo engine that's sort of one and a half times bigger. So for example, a three litre turbocharged diesel engine will perform about the same in terms of its peaks as a four and a half litre engine. Two litre petrol engine is gonna perform about the same 
uh, if it's turbocharged, as a 3-litre Atmo engine. You see it all the time. Just go and have a look at a 1.6-litre turbocharged engine and compare it to 2.4 Atmo. And they've got basically the same peak outputs, but turbocharging does a couple of other things as well, which is it boosts the mid-range sort of power delivery. So there's that. Turbocharging with direct injection. Very nice combination, got to say, for both petrol and diesel. Anyway, here's turbo lag, okay? You're coming down that hill, the gas is off, there's no burning. There's all this turning but no burning, therefore there's no energetic flow out of the exhaust because no burning, and therefore the pump is not pumping because it's not spooled up hard enough to generate boost. And boost is defined as being pressure greater than one atmosphere inside the cylinder. Okay, that's what boost is. So, when you get on the flat, all of a sudden, if you want to maintain your speed, you demand a little bit of additional performance from the engine by pressing the accelerator, right? In a diesel engine, what that does is it pumps more fuel into the engine. And then there's this catch-up process that has to happen, which is burning starts again, and then you get energetic exhaust flow. The turbocharger has rotational inertia, so it takes a little while to spool up to its operating pumping RPM. Then it starts pumping, and then air, compressed air, has to get pumped from the turbocharger all the way around into the cylinder. Then you've got additional performance. And the time it takes to do all of those things, spool up the turbo, move the air, that's turbo lag. Okay, and when most people talk about turbo lag in forums after this, you know, just give me some Grecian 2000 and shave my beard and hopefully my IQ will improve kind of thing. Well, when people talk about turbo lag, they typically mean they're stopped at the lights, light goes green, they nudge the accelerator and they don't get the performance they want immediately. This is not turbo lag. This is a thing that's called the boost threshold. You're below the boost threshold, right? Now, quite obviously, there needs the boost threshold is a rev setting at which you start to produce boost and below which there's no boost. So for example, with that Prado engine, it makes 500 Newton meters between 1600 and 2800 RPM, okay? So we know that we are above the boost threshold at 1600 and you're below the boost threshold at idle which is about 800 so somewhere in between 800 and 1600 is the boost threshold and Toyota is never going to tell you what it is but if you drive the vehicle enough you can just see because you stop you nudge the accelerator the revs come up slowly they seem interminably to climb up and then you get to a point, probably about 1,000 RPM, maybe 1,200, where everything, shit starts to happen. Happy days, right? And people go, oh, the turbo lag, shit. It's not turbo lag. It's you're trying to make the turbo function below the revs at which it is designed to deliver boost. And the obvious point that often gets made here is, well, why don't we just make the turbo so that it delivers enough boost off idle? And you could do that, certainly, but what that would mean is that when you get to higher RPMs, it'd blow up. <laughs> and that's bad. Generally, that's bad. I think you'd agree. So everything's a compromise. Turbochargers on engines are compromises. There is therefore a turbo boost threshold where you're not making any boost, you know, like from, say, 
idle to 1200 RPM. And then after that, the turbo is spooled up and ready to go. And this is just because there's not enough energetic flow of exhaust possible below that threshold to excite the turbocharger, to energize it enough to deliver boost, which is more than one atmosphere going into the engine. So I suspect that nine times out of 10, when your beard stroking piss creak in is talking about turbo lag, he's actually talking about just low RPM operation at which boost is not possible because you're below the boost threshold. And the reason I'm laying that out is because there's all these other beard stroking dickheads, okay? who are going to be talking about turbo lag and how throttle controllers can fix that when it's fundamentally impossible to fix turbo lag without making major changes. Like the hedges against turbo lag include sequential turbocharging, like a bi-turbo engine. Okay, you put two turbochargers in, you do a little turbo to give you more boost down low and a bigger turbo to give you more boost up high. This is not the sort of thing that a plug-in box can do, okay? And that's what a throttle controller is. It's just a box that plugs in, and you can tweak the setting between what you do with your right foot and how the engine responds, okay? Because when you think about it, what you're doing is, when you're pressing down with your right foot, you're coming down that hill, onto the flat, pressing down with your right foot, you're telling the engine that you want more power. This is a demand request by you okay demand more go okay and because the throttle is no longer physically connected by a cable to anything on the engine it's really just a potentiometer read by a computer okay so the speed at which you depress the throttle and the depth to which you depress it tells the engine how much more performance you want and some geek back in toyota's r d center in this case is going well when the dude beard stroker does this, engine response, throttle response will be this, and they program it in. And what they do is they do a lot of on-road sort of subjective testing, and they give you a throttle response that is in line with what they perceive as being the demands of the ordinary punter. And if you're designing a car like a GR Yaris or a Hyundai i20N or something, you give it really rapid throttle response so that the press on the potentiometer is rapidly reflected in the throttle performance, the actual throttle butterfly in the case of those engines, or in the case of a diesel, the amount of fuel and the immediacy of the delivery of that fuel. So what I'm suggesting is the only thing that a throttle controller can do is change the relationship between how you request extra performance and how quickly the engine does this. It can't change the boost threshold because it's not making any substantial hardware changes and it can't really change turbo lag because the rotational inertia of the turbo and the mass of air that has to be moved from the turbo into the engine to get a response that can't be changed by plugging in a box and changing how this relates to that. You know, this by the driver relates to that by the engine. It just can't work this way, okay? So you need to realise that. You need to just do two things if you're in this beard stroking, porn downloading modification hell. You need to just think about boobies a bit more, dude, because it's equally productive and more relaxing and you know it's not going to make your vehicle any worse if you do that so there's that okay now 
<coughs> Andrew went on, and I just... I would appreciate your advice very much on A, if they are worth getting. Probably not, dude. And B, do they affect the new car warranty or later claims waiting in anticipation for your reply? Swampy Marsh. Swampy, is there any other way to wait? Can you wait not in anticipation? That'd be hard. Give it a go. See what happens. Can you actually wait without this sense of anticipation? I'm waiting for a train, but I'm not anticipating it. Not at all. Don't modify the vehicle before you use it in the field, dude. Get empirical evidence. Put your chitois behind it, see how it goes. The actual delay in response, whether it's from the boost threshold or turbo lag, is a second, second and a half. These modern turbos are pretty small. They don't have that much rotational inertia, and much is done in R&D to try and reduce the size of the plumbing from the turbo inlet or the turbo outlet to the engine inlet and into the cylinder they want to try and reduce that to the extent that they can to minimize the inertia of the mass of air that has to start moving when you demand more and the turbo spools up and you can't really do anything about the uh, boost threshold you can't do anything about that but in practice this is not a ferrari that we're driving here this is a friggin prado right so it's a big squishy bus Let's be kind. <sighs> Andrew did actually get sick of waiting in anticipation and he asked Toyota about the warranty. I mean, he asked me this question on Thursday morning and I hadn't responded to him by closing business on Friday and then he basically stalked me again this morning at 7am or something, so... Anyway, he emailed Toyota, which is guest experience at toyota.com.au, and they gave him a 300-word corporate bullshit response, which is quite badly written, and I'm not going to inflict your, uh, the whole thing upon you, but I am going to give you about 20% of it, which is the crux of this whole matter. And P.S. to all you dudes at Toyota, I don't want to be a guest of yours. I really don't. I want to be a customer. If I go to, I don't know, a friend's house, I want to be a guest. But if I go to Toyota, I want to be a, a friggin' customer. I've got more rights and you've got more obligations if I'm the customer, right? So just, you might want to just clean up your act there. I know this is a cultural thing. Guest has a particular meaning in Japan. The only problem with this is, of course, we're not in Japan. And I don't want to culturally reorient myself just because I'm buying a friggin' Toyota in Australia. Just saying. Anyway, their bullshit response includes the following words. As per the terms and conditions of the Toyota Warranty Advantage, warranty coverage does not apply where a concern with your vehicle is found to be the result of a failure of non-genuine, non-Toyota genuine. Is there any other kind? And why is genuine a cap G? I, I have no idea. Parts or accessories, workmanship by a third party or damage or failures resulting from such failures. Warranty coverage also does not apply to damage deemed to result from improper adjustment or tampering. So that's a non-answer, isn't it? It means, yeah, if you fit this thing and we can get out of it, we might weasel out of it if we possibly can. Essentially, what's happening here is if you modify the vehicle and the modification leads to the breakage, or they can allege in a credible way that that is the case, then they might be able to get out of honouring either a warranty claim or a consumer law claim. I think it's unlikely that the throttle controller would do that. I just think it's a waste of money and effort and, you know, 
think about boobies. Anyway, Boggy Swampy asked me to decipher this response for him. He says, I asked Toyota Australia if this product could affect my new car warranty or protection under Australian consumer law. Yes, I watch every episode, but no more, I suspect, after this one. See my email warranty question to them and also their response. Could you please translate their response? I don't talk corporate bullshit. Bullshit, one word. Everyone in Australia should know how to spell bullshit because it is one of the most salient features of our culture from the highest level right down here to the sewer. There's a lot of bullshit in this country, that's for sure. I also included the same question to Ultimate Nine, the manufacturer of the product I bought prior to checking. I oh, know, dumbass, right? No, no, Boggy. It's not just your ass. I, I'm sorry to tell you that I suspect it's spread. It's a bigger problem than just, you know, polishing the seat with it anyway. Throttle controller. Unlikely to help, unlikely to hurt, you know. I'd suggest the following though. There's this other thing that you need to be aware of, you beard stroking vehicle modifiers, okay? There's such a tsunami of marketing impetus washing over you. Like, if you believe the aftermarket industry, every single aspect of your new vehicle is shit, but they can fix it. And it's just going to be... 200 bucks, 2,000 bucks, 20,000 bucks. They've got a solution for you. And the thing that you have to be really careful of is a thing called confirmation bias, which is far more likely to exist in the scientific experiment. You know, if you're trained in, classically trained in science, you learn all about confirmation bias, which is the following phenomenon, right? You you want to test a hypothesis, so you do an experiment. But if you really, really want your hypothesis to be right, you have to be careful that you don't go out cherry-picking for evidence that success, okay? People do this all the time. Like, there's no doubt about climate change. There's no scientific doubt about climate change. It's CO2 that's causing it. It's human production of CO2, anthropogenic climate change is a thing, it's, there's no doubt, okay? But you can go and cherry pick data, data, information from the internet to support your hypothesis that that's bullshit because you really, really want it to be bullshit because, hey, climate change is inconvenient. Like, yes, very inconvenient. But you can go and cherry pick bullshit and go, hey, well, here's more, here's more evidence right and you can send me all these links and whatever that that's bullshit co2's plant food blah 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 this phd or that phd has got a youtube video repudiating some of those claims whatever i don't care right climate change is a scientific fact it's like gravity so if you think that your car has a problem that turbo lag and you think that a throttle controller can fix it when it's not actually turbo lag at all it's trying to operate it below the boost threshold and you plug in your throttle controller and it doesn't matter how much you spend it could be 200 bucks or 2000 or 20000 bucks and you could be trying to cure whatever alleged problem there is okay once you do that you can then convince yourself that jesus you've been smart you've made exactly the right choice dude problem solved because confirmation bias is a really insidious part of 
uh, it's a feedback effect of changes that we make to our own environment and the fact that you invest time and money and enthusiasm energy into making these changes and therefore you don't want to look like a fucking peanut you want to look like a success story and you can absolutely convince yourself that fitting that throttle controller was the best fucking thing you ever did when in fact it's made a bee's dick of difference because the response time of the engine is probably holding you back for like a second and a half and because you get a little bit more like that from your throttle controller you can convince yourself that this has made a big difference but i'd suggest to you that if we put that vehicle on a friggin racetrack and measure the performance under controlled conditions with timing beams or gps whatever v-box then the difference will be bugger all okay the actual difference to performance because it has to be this way because the boost threshold does not change and the turbo lag dynamics the rotational inertia of the turbo the length of the inlet air pathway and therefore the mass inertia of the air going into the engine has not changed and therefore you cannot seriously hope to eliminate the non-problem of turbo lag in the car that you have not even put on the road and tested yet by fitting this box even though you can convince yourself afterwards that it was a really really good idea and this goes for modifying those shitbox four-wheel drives generally my advice is do the absolute minimum required modification only after you have established beyond doubt that this problem absolutely exists and it affects you and it must be solved.